my name is Owen Walsh, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cabin Fever. Less a podcast than a group therapy session for writers, brewers, and friends from around the world who like to enjoy a beer together, but can't for now. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and under normal circumstances, we'd get together in the pub and thrash out our ideas over a beer or two. But we can't, because most of us now live in countries where it's impossible to go outside, never mind nip around the corner for a drink. Just a quick note before the start of today's episode to say that some of the audio quality is a bit janky, so hang in there. Uh, Secondly, we'd love to hear from listeners out there how you're getting on, what you're doing to cope, and what you're drinking. So feel free to get in touch on social media. You can find me at Owen Walsh, or you can send me an email at owen at beercity.brussels. I'd love to hear from you. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. I'm delighted to be joined for the latest episode of Cabin Fever tonight by my very good friend Lauren Rankin, activist, freelance writer covering reproductive rights, feminist politics. Her work is featured in the Washington Post, Rolling Stone, Teen Vogue and others. And Lauren was also in a former life the voice of U.S. pharmacy chain Walgreens. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Owen. I indeed was the voice of Walgreens once upon a time. Thanks for bringing that back up. You're welcome. Uh, by Jules Johnson, uh, Scottish by birth, but living in Brussels for the last few years and the senior e- senior editor at the Brussels Time. Hi, Jules. Hi, how are you? And by, uh, finally by John Hall, co-founder and editor of the Beer Edge newsletter, host of the podcast Drink Beer, Think Beer, and co-host of Steal This Beer, as well as writer of uh, innumerate numbers of books I can't, uh, I can't remember right now. John, how's it going? Uh, pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, as we usually do at the beginning of the show, we just do a little uh, round the room to see how everybody's getting on. John, we might as well start with you. How are you doing and what are you drinking? Uh, you know, I'm doing as good as you can do in these situations. It's been a, a, a weird couple of weeks here in, uh, in northern New Jersey, as it were, in the major New York metro area. And I'm finding myself drinking a lot of old familiar styles uh, as well. Not so much just rating the cellar, but just trying to go back to comfort beers. And so right now I'm having a Threes Brewing, which is in Brooklyn, a collaboration that they did with Burial down in North Carolina. And it's a dark mild, which we just don't see a lot of around uh, the U.S. these days. And so I'm digging the, the, the old school comfort of it. Um, Lauren, how about you? How are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm doing all right. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and currently uh, buried in snow. We had an Easter snowstorm, so that's kind of a bummer because it makes you feel even more trapped. Um, I haven't been drinking a lot, but what I have been drinking has been really good. I bought some like fancy, fancy stuff before I went under. <laughs> um, I like sour beers. I've been drinking Cuvée de Jacobin's Rouge, Monks, um, Rodenbach Grand Cru, that kind of stuff, mostly. Um, and... It's actually kind of nice because it's refreshing my my palate back to like my original sour days. So I don't know what I'm going to come out of this thing looking like, but um, right now <laughs> it's Tart City over here. And Jules, what about you? I know you're a big whiskey drinker. What are you drinking? Right <laughs> how are you doing? Well, yeah, you were you were saying how are we doing? Like I've I've kind of lost track of what life was like before this. It just seems to be that now we're just in quarantine and that's that's life but drinking since i'm on a beer podcast i'm drinking uh nord bliss from brussels beer project which is quite nice but normally as you said it's whiskey all the way i have gone through an inordinate amount of whiskey in these past couple of weeks <laughs> how are the hangovers I'm getting worse Come here, uh, Jules. You, uh, I mean, you're working for Brussels Times, which, for people who don't know, is a, is it a quarterly magazine plus the website? Uh, so it's a magazine, roughly every two months, plus a, a daily news website. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. And how 
And how is that going for you right now, reporting on, on what's happening in the city? It's like, to be honest, it, it's it's incredibly intense. It, it's really my, my first experience of being in a situation like this. Like I was in Brussels for the, the Brussels attacks, which was really my first attempt mm-hmm. at this kind of constant news cycle. But this is way more, I don't know, it, it's bizarre. I'm reaching a stage where just I see everything as so important in a way that when I, I've listened to the podcast a couple of times and I've heard you discuss the idea that people are, are shutting off from certain, you know, daily breaking news. Well, to me, it's like I'm getting more alerts on my phone than I've ever had in my life. I'm somehow hyper aware of things going on that I never even considered in the past. It's bizarre. It's totally teaching me angles about my work that I never I never anticipated before. Yeah, that must be quite a, quite a challenge because as you were saying, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks is finding ways of tuning out the news because there's just, as you said, so much of it right now. It, it, but it's strange. For the first week, I kind of felt that way that, you know, I had friends who were, for all good reasons, burying their heads in the sand. While I, I don't know, I was just kind of about it. And it's now just reaching a stage that I actually, I quite like. And it's a strange, almost comfort. Like I've become the person mm-hmm. that all my friends come to to ask weird inane questions, which is quite it's quite a nice feeling to have and a bizarre way to take something nice out of this. Yeah, I mean, I guess there must be some comfort in having all of the. Well, you can't have perfect knowledge, but you have you must have a pretty good handle on what the latest situation is almost on a day by day basis. Yeah, well, all I'm realizing is that every time I learn something, I discover another area that I need to learn more about. Like, uh, especially the kind of intricacies of Belgian politics. I'm getting a bit of a crash course in that at the moment, which is a uh, far from simplistic thing to look into. But no, it, it's it's really interesting. Are you able to tune out? Are you able to kind of switch off at a certain point? Yeah, the, the thing is when it, I, I've always, I've always been a kind of video games and comics guy and that's quite a invasive pastime. You know, it, it's kind mm-hmm. of all encompassing. And well, I found myself that I, I can't, like, I can't read books at the moment because I'm just spending my whole day scrolling websites and editing stories. But I'm still finding quite a bit of comfort in, like, I don't know, picking up a reading like a Batman comic or playing some crazy game and seeing this rise in kind of internet gaming. I'm playing games with my friends back in Scotland, which is something I would never do. Is quite a nice distraction. It's kind of replacing that going yeah. to the pub feel. Talking of books, Lauren, you were just talking off mic um, that you are working on a book deal right now. Is the book done or are you still working on it? Oh, the book is so not done. Um, <laughs> so before this whole thing erupted, I'm in the U.S. where, you know, it's been a nightmare here for years. Um, before it happened, but um, before really everyone went into lockdown mode, I had been working with my agent and talking to a bunch of publishers, um, trying to seal this deal. And um, on the book I'm writing about clinic escorts who in the States are volunteers who walk patients past protesters at abortion clinics. And so it's sort of, it happened right as the whole world and at least the whole American world was going under in terms of isolation. And so mm-hmm. I, I was worried that it wasn't going to happen. It has happened. Um, the deal is going to be announced, I think, this week. So I'll hold off on any more information there. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm really having a hard time. First of all, abortion is always a fraught issue in this country, which is what I write about. Um, yeah. But there are certain states like Texas and Ohio and Alabama that have tried to use the pandemic to stop abortion from happening, you know, which is completely predictable and totally um, draconian. Depressing. And but 
I'm having a hard time. Normally, I'm pretty pissed and fiery in my everyday Mm -hmm. life, and I'm having a hard time finding that right now. Um, It just feels so resigned. I think being cut off, you know, a lot of my work is via digital interviews and stuff like that, but I really am sort of having this feeling of like um, internal caving, not in a depressed way, but like looking inward rather than looking outward. And I'm having a hard time sort of focusing um, on some of the stuff that's happening outside of my own life. My own life being, I don't know, cooking dinner <laughs> and taking intermittent naps. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I think, you know, once the deal is signed, I'm going to have to come up with a work plan here and like actually get my life together um, and it'll give me something to focus on, something that I've been working on a long time and telling a story that's really important to me. But um, there's just so much happening in this country that um, is a, just a pile of shit. And um, mm-hmm. the pandemic, I think, has really revealed how severe that was already and made it so much worse. And I can't even imagine going back to normal at this point. Um, and so many of the clinic escorts I've talked to aren't doing it anymore, even though the protesters are still there and they're scared about what's going to come. And I think the best thing we can do right now, at least for me and my work is try to maintain some sense of like positivity and hope and connectivity. But that's, that's difficult to find right now as we're all sort of buried, um, and and isolated from each other. So yeah. Yeah. So that's that's sort of where I am. And and what's the situation like in Colorado now? What are the what are the rules under which you guys are living? Yeah, so I moved from Brook I lived in Brooklyn, New York until the end of twenty nineteen. I moved here to Boulder, Colorado for my boyfriend and I got out of Brooklyn just in time, it seems. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the epicenters of the pandemic. In Colorado, yeah. we've been under a stay at home order for almost a month and it's been extended to the end of this month. Um there in Boulder and specifically, I think there've only been a handful of deaths, but um, it's, there's a large baby boom population in Boulder. Um, so everyone's trying to be really cautious. Um, you know, I haven't really gone anywhere except the grocery store a couple of times, which I do not want to do again. It's horribly stressful. And yeah. um, it's a strange because Boulder is so beautiful. I mean, it's just right at the base of the Rockies. It's gorgeous. There's so many trails and you can be outside, but it's also everyone is outside now. So the trails are inundated with people and it just, it's this really fraught, weird feeling of like the only thing to make you feel normal is to get outside and then you get outside and everybody is outside. So we've just sort of been trying to isolate as much as possible and going on walks around the neighborhood rather than you know, hitting the trails. Um, yeah. but it doesn't look like and trying not to go anytime soon. Trying not to go too crazy either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying being the key word there. Trying. And John, I know the situation in New Jersey is pretty stark at the moment. It is. So where I live, I mean, it's the greater New York metro area. So, um, you know, if you think of New York city or Brooklyn or Queens or any of that, like Northern New Jersey is, is in that, uh, geographical area. Uh, and obviously the virus doesn't know state borders or state lines. But uh, mm-hmm. right now, uh, my state has something like 65,000 confirmed cases and we've had 2,500 deaths or thereabouts. And uh, we're all under virtual lockdown as well. You can go to grocery stores. 
um, or you know, liquor stores are open and breweries are open for to-go orders. But anytime you go into a business now, uh, as of Sunday morning, uh, everybody has to be wearing a face mask. And it's that old, you okay. know, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Uh, we can now add no face mask uh, to that as, as, as well. Um, so, you know, our state parks are closed. So that sort of recreation is out. They were open as of a week ago, but um, people here are sort of abusing it um, and, and not taking the lockdown as seriously as I think a lot of other people would like. So, um, you know, we saw house parties happening. We saw uh, some bars opening up as like speakeasies where they were cramming a whole bunch of people in. Uh, we had spring break here and kids were getting together and playing basketball and baseball and everything like on the street and in the parks. So now when yeah. you drive past, um, you know, a playgrounds, there's yellow police tape up to keep people <laughs> off and, uh, DPW workers, to, uh, part, uh, public works, uh, part, workers yeah. have taken, uh, the basketball hoops off. They've unscrewed them from the backboards. So, um, you know, just to really drive home, you know, to stay at home, but you know, still people aren't, always listening to that but uh we're trying to do our best yeah, to, to flatten the curve i mean i think that's the same everywhere jules i mean you'll know seeing in brussels we've had unseasonably good weather this weekend it was pushing 20 25 degrees celsius now i don't know what that is in fahrenheit so forgive me um warm anyway for brussels and i have to say my sort of passive aggressive antenna were going off the charts whenever i went outside because officially we're not supposed to sit down and so you can go to the park the benches are there, but you're not supposed to sit on them for more than five minutes. Now, there's nobody around telling you that you should, you know, to, to, to move along. There's not like a, a giant timer there saying, but as the, well, it's not a crisis anymore. You can't call something that's been ongoing for two months a crisis. But as the new normal progresses, I think people are going to start chafing against that kind of political consensus. And obviously in the US, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, even in, even in Belgium, you've hit a point of kind of almost collective apathy you're starting to see because i've definitely like i am the most hated person on my road at the moment because we have a terrace and no one else does but from there it's it's become like prime people watching territory and definitely over the past like week i have just seen more people and as you said like it's people who are just like out trying to enjoy the sun or, or people just trying to do something because i think people have just reached that point of like we've been doing this for a month what do we do now and it's that the adjustment to the new normal, which is a phrase that people is starting to throw around. It's a really strange adjustment. I think seeing how people vary. There's a woman on my road who I think shouts out her window about every two days, everyone go home. And it's fantastic. <laughs> like, I, love on my road. I love her. Get <laughs> it. Tell him to go. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I've never actually seen her. I need to find out who this woman is. She's just far enough away that I can't see her from my, my terrace creeping spot. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. I, I never thought Brussels would have been a city that could be this empty. Well, let's leaven it up a little bit. Um, it's something I always like to talk about with the guests is the kind of uh, coping mechanisms that you have developed in the last you know six to eight weeks being stuck at home. Lauren, um, I saw from your Twitter, not, not only were you wrestling with a recalcitrant coffee machine this morning, but you've also shaved your hair. I did do that. First of all, how dare my coffee maker choose now to crap out? <laughs> Frankly, oh. that's a hate crime. Um, <laughs> I, my boyfriend doesn't make coffee or drink coffee, and I just stood there <laughs> just catatonic staring at it. He did everything he could to revive it. It was it was her time. She's passed on. 
Um, but a couple days ago, I have a sh- I had short hair. I have a pixie cut, mm-hmm. and I haven't had it cut since maybe the end of February. And I just I just hit the level. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I had a mullet. It was the worst. And I've shaved my head once um, when I actually came back from Rwanda, where I was with you, Owen, uh, for a conference. Mm-hmm. And I decided I, I just need this shit off my head. I need to feel some sort of control in the universe. Um, so my boyfriend and I stripped down, crawled into the bathtub, and he shaved my head for me. And um, it was re- it feels really good. Really, really good. Um, like it's just some. I don't even know if I particularly like the way it looks, but just the ability to say I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that thing happen, um, and doing it. There's something really soothing about that. Um, I'm not a Susie homemaker kind of person. I lived off of, you know, seamless and takeout in New York. But since I've been here, and especially since this whole thing has happened, I've kind of gotten over the hump of thinking that cooking is the most horrible experience. Um, mm-hmm. and I've kind of come to embrace that a little bit. It's um, I don't understand who these people are who think that cooking is soothing. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm one of those people, Oh my God. but I have crazy. I know, nothing I know, but it. it's, it's all relative. And John, I'm sure you'll agree on this cooking by yourself, excluding the children from the kitchen with the radio on, either listening to a podcast or listening to music, can be an incredibly meditative experience. And I've been doing a lot of that. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's given me a chance to actually uh, spend more time looking at recipes that have just been sort of in the back of my mind for a while or that I've been pinning uh, uh, you know, just in a, in, a, in a book for the last little bit, because uh, I do have a little bit more time on my hands. Um, as well these days. And I have a three-year-old. And so uh, I, I am jealous of all of the folks who actually have had a chance to watch Tiger King or are catching up on movies or binging seasons uh, because, you know, my wife works full-time as well. And I have a, a, a bunch of jobs that I'm doing and we're managing the three-year-old at the same time. So, so free time for us is less than it used to be uh, under this, uh, under mm. this pandemic. So yeah, getting into the kitchen has been uh, actually really, really quite nice. And trying to find things that a picky eater three-year-old will go for uh, has also been a, a fun, frustrating challenge. Yeah. Lauren, you have to understand that you're talking to a man who has written several cookbooks. So, you know, you're on the loop. So I really should not be complaining. I'm like, oh, I have to make dinner <laughs> for myself. Like, <laughs> you know, like what is, John, what is your kid into eating? I'm curious. What is, what have you found? Uh, you know, a lot of the, the normal, uh, you know, uh, mac and cheese and hot dogs. She loves hot dogs. Um, we're really See? into yogurt right now. Like she'll, she'll go through like, <laughs> like five yogurts in a day. And I don't know what that's doing. I know exactly what that's doing to her system. Um, it's like a <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis commercial. It's awful. Um, but uh, yeah, no, she'll just sort of graze as to, to, to whatever we have out. Um, you know, I made a brisket yesterday uh, for Easter and uh, you know, she was curious about that and tried that. She, she, she's curious. Uh, about pretty much anything that we're eating in the house. Um, but then we'll usually default back to, you know, the old toddler staples. I might be yeah. a three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's actually nothing wrong with that as well. You know, it, it's eat what you like. And, you know, as, as long as I think you're an adventurous eater or you're, you're at least willing to try something once, 
Yeah, um, for sure. You know, you find something that you like, but if you know, frozen chicken nuggets and, and French fries are your jam, like, cool. I'm, who am I to, you know, criticize, you know? I mean, I, I hang out in a, uh, in a world where people like hazy IPAs. So, you know, like, taste means nothing. and yeah i have to say for your levity yeah (laughs) (laughs) our youngest uh, who's four now she had her fourth birthday two weeks ago um she is she has developed a strategy of her her first attitude is i don't like it then her second attitude is if dad has made it I don't like it. If mum has made it, I like it. And then obviously we will say, well, dad didn't make it, mum make it. And then she'll say, well, I don't like some of the things that she makes. And then it's like, oh, we're dealing with a sociopath here. It's a smart kid. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. And and she says it with with this shit-eating, cherubic grin on her face, like, you know. And with Jules, um, I mean, you know, let's not keep this conversation fixated on mine and John's kids because kids are boring. Um, or at least other people's, other, other people's, people's kids, are, kids boring. are boring. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That was, um, that was quite an interesting like snapshot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, we, we, I don't want to, I don't want to fixate too much on your love of Scottish whiskey. Um, but I am curious as to like what, what kind of good bottles you've been pulling out of the basement to drink or the, the, the cupboard. Yeah. Um, yeah, to keep I, yourself uh, company. I've fallen down. Like to 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 say that the hangovers of hangovers hangovers wow have been getting worse is is a serious thing. Rapidly approaching my thirties and drinking too much whiskey is having a, a pretty drastic effect on how I wake up on like Saturday mornings. But we're moving house in like two months, and I really don't want to lug all the bottles of whiskey that are like mostly finished because it just seems unfair. So I'm alternating between like my friends bought, well, since Irish podcast, I've got a nice bottle of Jameson Black Barrel, which I will fully admit I'm a big fan of. I have an absolutely offensive amount of Oban because I've got a pal who works there, which is very nice. But to be honest, I've just been going for every PT whiskey that I have in varying levels. But every single time I've got a bottle of Glenfiddich IPA, which... Honestly, I, I can't get my head around as something I like. And I look at it and go, I like IPA. I like whiskeys. I'm not just a stereotype. But I just don't like it. And I try so hard. I mix it with things. I try and make cocktails with it. That's what leads to the headaches. It's just... It, <laughs> I, I find myself in a bizarre situation where I have too much spare time and lots of whiskeys that I would like to try, which uh, it's detrimental to my health. Your journalism must be just exponentially increasing in quality. But now. my editing also. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the thing is, I wasn't a big drinker before this. So I, I've heard you saying like uh, a couple of times to people, like, you know, how's it impacting your, your drinking? For me, it's strange because I'm finding that I had like nice bottles of beer in the house that were for a special occasion. Well, this is as special occasion as any. Same with the whiskeys, same with like weird bottles of tequila. We're, we're finding ourselves trying to make drinks that we would definitely normally pay someone to make us. And not only are we totally butchering them, but it's it's an interesting <laughs> interesting state of affairs. I have to say, I, I ditched the, the beer over the weekend. And not to, I mean, there's only so many stereotypes you can fulfill, but I did fulfill another one. And we cracked open a couple of bottles of Aperol <laughs> and drank them on the terrace outside. And it was 
glorious. I'm so Sunny proud weather. Of you, Owen. That's class. That's class right there. Yeah, I know. And then when we had drunk all the Prosecco, because I bought two bottles of Aperol, but only one bottle of Prosecco, um, we cracked open the cheap champagne somebody had brought for New Year's Eve like two years ago, and it was great. But this is it. We've reached the point of cracking open. Like, that's pretty much what we're in. We had a couple of bottles of, bigger bottles of beer that we were saving for friends, and now me and my fiance are, like, drinking them between us, because, eh, why not? Might as well crack it open. Yeah, and when you say fiance, you've got a wedding coming oh, I up. Do. Or I su- do. That's, suppo- <laughs> you were you were saying, what are we doing with our like spare time? January hit. I'd spent a month in Scotland, pretty much eating the entire time, and was like, I am getting married in August. I need to work out. And then about two months later, we went on lockdown. So I've been on some kind of self-imposed hellish fitness regime, which just means I hurt constantly. And then when I'm not doing that, we're trying to work out wedding because it's at the end of august which you know in theory could be all right but it's just far enough away that i'm not you know my my gut says yeah but equally it's a crazy thing to think about yeah and was it locally here were you gonna do Uh, back in scotland no locally here so we've got like my my fiance is belgian so we've got all the belgian contingent covered but obviously like all my pals in scotland now they're all working out ways that they can get here without flying so like my best mate has come out with, I'll pick up your mum on the way down and we'll drive to London and get the Eurostar. Like people are being needlessly inventive. It's fantastic. Wow. But it's really weird because we'd done all the stuff that required us to go to places. Like we'd looked at the venue. We'd been to these like wedding fairs where you go, you spend two hours of your life and you do nothing. But now we're just sending emails. And you know, it's as if everything is just progressing as normal which in itself is really strange for anything to be progressing as normal at the moment is really strange. Yeah. But as we always say, you know, on the show that there's always, it's always good to have something to look forward to, whether it's a, a book that you are going to have to write eventually <laughs> or a, a wedding that will take place in one form or another, you know, these things at a certain point, I mean, normalcy will not be restored for a long time, but some semblance of normality is going to come back eventually. Yeah, of course. It's good to have something good to have something to look forward to when it does. No, I think on that, it's a it's a privilege to be able to like take a moment like this and step back. Like there are yeah. people who obviously are nurses or grocery store workers yeah. or service. Absolutely. But um, so I'm not trying to be like all social justice warrior here. But I I've actually I'm trying every time I feel like I'm going to scream. I can't spend one more goddamn second doing this. Um, I try and like take a step back and think about. Um, what is something that I can get out of this moment? You know, like, is it actually just like um, breathing by myself for a second? Is it, um, I mean, every single season of Top Chef is on Hulu. That is a gift. You know, like, what are the things? What are the you things? You know, for somebody I- who doesn't like to cook. Oh, I do not like to cook, but I fucking love to eat. And I love love going out to restaurants and stuff like that. That is obviously gone now. But um, the cooking, the part that's stressful for me about cooking is I can't ever get it like that. Um, You know, but I I think there there can be something really kind of positive on the other end of like what does it feel like to actually come back inside physically metaphysically um 
And who are you inside with? You know, I could be inside with people who suck way more than my boyfriend. So um, I, I keep trying to like force myself to think about that, even though it's um, it seems really cliche and hokey, but it's it's something to keep me from careening off into anxiety land. No, I think that's I think that's absolutely um, you know admirable and something that we always like to do at the end. I'm nice segue in. I is kind of give no 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 you didn't give an opportunity for the guests to kind of flag up any uh, positive encouraging things that they've noticed either in their daily lives their routine or or otherwise or again obviously on the other side things that they found that have been challenging have just flat out annoyed them that they've maybe seen on social media for example. So Lauren, that was a really good that was a really good entry into that. Is there is there something that you're sort of pushed to enjoy the current well not enjoy the current situation, but enjoy the consequences of the current situation? Is there anything that's that's come upon you in the last couple of weeks that has encouraged you? Yeah, I think I actually think it's a chance to reflect on like what some of my patterns were. You know, why did I always feel like, why did I feel the need to always go out to, you know, what, what, why did I, why did I always want to be around people? You know, I'm a social person and community is important, but what does it mean to take a a second to step back? What does it mean to be on social media all the time? A beautiful gift from this pandemic has been, I've been far away from Twitter. Um, that place has just become like a cesspool of toxic anxiety to me. It's just like a cesspool of this person, (laughs) this person's dick, this person's an asshole. Trump said something stupid again. You know, it's just too much. And so I've actually given myself very real permission as someone who is a writer and an activist, I have to use Twitter, but it's given me a really great chance to just step away from that for a while. Um, And sort of look again at like some of the things that I do I did, and that I did on default. And um, are those things serving me? You know, being on Twitter all day is not serving anyone. Um, and it certainly wasn't serving me. Um, so I think that's a positive thing I've, I've really gotten out of this. And, um, you know, eating a lot of baked goods is also a plus. And once again, shout out to Top Chef. Every season of that is on Hulu. I'm already on season six. I started from the beginning. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it can be an opportunity if you allow yourself to try and see it that way. And persp- it, it's, a, it's a manual shift in perspective. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I have to say I'm not a top chef man. I'm more of a master chef man mm. myself. I don't know if that, if that brand has crossed the Atlantic. No, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like something I'd be into. Oh, absolutely. There's master chef, master chef, the professionals and celebrity master chef. So three <laughs> different flavors. I say I say that we're just just turning into a cooking uh, podcast um, because um, uh, funnily enough, at the beginning of the year, where my, my wife is, uh, she's big into minimalism right now, and one of the challenges we set ourselves was using we could only keep the cookbooks that we used, and at the end of the year in December, if we did not use a cookbook, we had to throw it out. Obviously, the benefits of being stuck at home and cooking for ourselves is I've been allowed to use as many cookbooks as I've wanted. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. What about you guys? What about Jules, John? Anything, um, anything you want to rant about or, or, or recommend? To be honest, I've got two big positives from this. And one, I've realized I'm the only person who's not spoken about food. So all I'm going to say is we bought an air fryer like two days before we went into lockdown. And every single meal has had some kind of air fryer component. It's wonderful. But it's also definitely gone back to like chicken nuggets and bitter bone and stuff like that. It's, 
it's fantastic. It's changed yeah, my life. It's mind blowing. But the big positive that I, I've really seen, and it's it's quite funny with the comments on you know social media being this crazy, constantly churning mass at the moment, which yeah, it, it kind of always has been, especially with relation to news. I'm seeing a lot of people correcting others and not in the like all caps you're wrong way more in the like hey no i I think you've misunderstood this here's a link to a site it's a lot of people talking about data and like infection figures and deaths and all these horrible things that you don't really want to be so obsessed with but it's really interesting to see people correcting or, or correcting has such a negative connotation but helping each other by saying like actually I, I think you're coming at this in the wrong angle maybe have a look at this this is a link to this website and it's really interesting seeing it happening in brussels because obviously 90 percent of the stuff isn't in english and the majority of these conversations i'm seeing going on are in like you know brits in brussels scots in brussels all this sort of thing where people are like hey you can't read this but this says this you know here's a bit more information it's th- this kind of communal atmosphere which i'm pretty sure in all my time on twitter and Facebook and all the various social medias uh, I've not really seen. So there is all that negative side, but this tiny sliver of positive has given me hope. Maybe I need to follow. Well, that's good. You yeah. follow. <laughs> yeah, you you need to get you need to get on the Brussels expat Twitter bubble. That's that's the one you're missing, Lauren. Um, quick question before we move on to John. Very important question. Can you air fry a Mars bar? Yeah, I haven't tried yet, but I've had deep fried Mars bar once. Didn't love it. Which I think Scotland has probably just disowned me for that statement. Yeah. I think yeah. that's your prerogative. I'm, got, I'm, I'm becoming Belgian. That's it. <laughs> I've had two positives out of this, I think. Uh, <laughs> one, by the time all of the restrictions are ended, I will have mastered all of the choreography from Frozen 2. <laughs> because it's on a basically endless loop uh, on our family room television right now. <laughs> And uh, the other thing, too, we've been taking family walks just around the neighborhood. And, you know, everybody keeps their distance, obviously, uh, when, when we're out. And, and we have a, an 11-year-old mutt who doesn't like other people. Uh, so we've always been able to keep our distance, but even more so now. And um, as we're walking around, and people are doing all sorts of things. Uh, there's uh, doing sidewalk chalk messages or uh, drawings at the end of their driveways, uh, just you know, little things of hope of like, thank you to the first responders, or this is only temporary, things like that, like little nice inspirational messages. And then, you know, because we have this three-year-old, there's this thing that has started on a, uh, a scavenger hunt or a safari hunt, I guess, uh, where people are putting stuffed animals in their front windows of their house. So you can walk past and say, oh, look, Hannah, there's a pink bear or there's a blue giraffe or, you know, whatever. Uh, And it keeps her engaged. And it's just these nice little things that neighbors are doing to be neighborly without having to actually talk to anybody or see anybody face to face. It's these, you know, unseen, uh, you're not really seeing people, but you're seeing, you know, their efforts. And that to me has sort of been a, a, a really nice thing living down here in the in the Jersey suburbs of, you know, knowing that we're all in this together and people are trying to do what they can to, to make them smile, uh, especially in a state like New Jersey, where it's basically a fuck you attitude all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that is a super, superbly positive note on which to end the show. Uh, before I do uh, wrap up, um, this is the opportunity for you, for you guys to flag where people can find your work. 
uh, what you're doing at the moment, if you've anything coming up. Uh, Jules, where can people find your work with Brussels uh, Times? Yep, so for the most part, we're a website. We are the Brussels Times. Not that hard to find. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, we've got a newsletter called Belgium and Brief, which goes out at the moment and is kind of recapping everything and anything that's taking up my day and the rest of the team, which, you know, it's quite good to keep up to speed on these things. Good. And what about you, Lauren? Um, where can people find what you're working on at the moment? Well, I'll be announcing some stuff on um, Twitter. So you can find me at Lauren A. Rankin. I'm not tweeting a ton right now, but um, I will tweet everyone and let you know if my coffee maker ever returns from the dead. So <laughs> oh, I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> And John, um, the newsletter, the podcasts, where can people find you? Everything is up on BeerEdge.com. We've been uh, covering COVID-19 and its impacts on the brewing industry from you know, brewers to growers to everybody else uh, out there. And we have the two podcasts from there, the Drink Beer, Think Beer, and then the Beer Edge podcast, which is, again, all COVID-related. Uh, and Drink Beer, Think Beer is an interview podcast. And yeah, I'm, I'm you know, just keep going. Anybody who, uh, you know, needs me i'm i'm writing for them these days so it's it's non-stop and i'm grateful for the work where can we see the frozen dance once you learn it oh i'm gonna have a special website and it's gonna be uh <laughs> behind a paywall obviously because uh you know these moves ain't cheap so um, monetize it yeah i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna start a, a a kickstarter uh to help me get the uh the right shoes and the gowns in the right size. That's, that's really the biggest thing. Um, you know, Elsa is very small and I am not, so uh, I'm going to need some extra fabric. I, I look forward to seeing, I look forward to contributing to that. Uh, I was going to say, John. nobody's looking forward to seeing that. It's <laughs> true. Um, guys, it's been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, we're going to wrap up now. Um, stay safe, stay well. Um, look forward to talking to you again in the future sometime. I look forward to seeing you all again at some point as well in the future. But for now, take care of yourselves. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. And that's it for today's episode of Cabin Fever. Many thanks to our guests and to all you listeners out there. If you enjoyed today's show, do make sure to subscribe and we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're using. Until the next time.